Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. There we are. Thank you for joining us here tonight. Those of you that are here with us on campus, great to see you. And those of you that are joining us via Facebook and live stream, thank you for joining in with us as well. We want to uh, give you just a couple of announcements this evening. First of all, we want to remind you, I'm sure you're aware, there seems to be a lot of stuff in my mail, uh, that there's an election coming up. Uh, on October 14th, and just want to remind you of that. And we also uh, want to let you know once again that Brother Robert Martin will be speaking in our 11 a.m. service uh, this coming Sunday. That's the 15th. And uh, Brother Martin's a great man, and I've uh, spent some time with him professionally. Uh, and uh, the man is he's sharp, and I'm looking forward to his ministry. Before uh, Brother Murphy comes this evening, um, this past week, I was reading in Titus. I don't know how many of you spend a lot of time reading in Titus, but uh, this passage in Titus really, really struck me. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7 in the King James. It says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we had done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The NIV says the same thing. I really want you to get this. So. I want to read this to you in the NIV. Same passage. says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I really want you to get this, though. So I'm going to read this to you one more time, this time from the New Living Translation. Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Ghost. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Isn't that awesome? I'm so grateful that what Jesus did for me did not depend on any righteous thing I had done, but it's just his mercy. 
It's just his mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Can you clap your hands to Jesus for just being good? Amen. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. Good to see you folks tonight. Thank you all for coming as always and uh, welcome. Um, really appreciate seeing all of you. And uh, what did you think about that stuff falling out of the sky today? What, what do you call that? I hadn't seen that in so long. Um, very thankful for the rain. Uh, thank God for it. And um, uh, right now we'll take what we can get. And uh, very thankful, very thankful for that. Um, Brother Jason mentioned the election. I'd like to remind all of you to please vote and to especially pay attention to the Second Amendment uh, revision. Uh, our, our district is behind that. And uh, if you certainly feel to, don't want to tell anybody how to vote, but certainly feel to, please vote yes for that. It's very rare that I promote anything on the ballot. I just encourage people to vote. Very rare to encourage you to vote for anything on the ballot. Uh, but this has to do with our freedom of worship and to make it harder for the government to tell us we can't meet and worship, and this is a byproduct of COVID. So if you consider that <clears throat> when you vote, it would certainly be appreciated. Uh, do your own research and certainly vote your conscience. Also, uh, kind of a big announcement, and uh, after what we are learning about what's going on in the Middle East at this time. Uh, it's certainly taken center stage and I'm sure all of you are very well aware of what's going on with Israel. They are truly encompassed about with an enemy. And uh, we know that the Lord is on their side and he will take care of them. But because of it, <clears throat> uh, I think it'd be a great time to jump into some prophecy and so starting next Wednesday night, I'm going to not continue the series I'm teaching now. Maybe in the future we'll come back to it. But uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, I want to jump into prophecy. My focus is going to be the nation of Israel first. And then depending on how I feel interest is and what have you, um, we'll jump into prophecy concerning global prophecy and then also prophecy concerning the church. So remember that, uh, I think it was in around 2013, uh, I did a long series on prophecy. It went very well, uh, very well attended on Wednesday night. But this time, I would appreciate, A, you not staying home and watching it on live stream. Show up at church. Everybody has an automobile and enough money to put gas in it. Uh, come while we have gas. Because after all this Middle East business, uh, I've heard today that by the end of the year, gas prices is going to be through the roof because of all the turmoil in the Middle East. Um, but not only come out yourself, but bring somebody with you. Uh, I'd like to go full marketing on all of our social media outlets that we're going to be starting Prophecy this coming Wednesday night. And uh, again, my focus will be on the nation of Israel. And as is my pattern, Everybody wants to know what's happening right now. Um, it's hard for you to sometimes understand what's happening right now if you don't understand the context of what's been going on for the past 2,000 years and more, 2,500 years probably. Um, so I'll do a lot of foundation work. Um, it'll take me a little while to get to today, maybe about 
two or three Wednesday nights. We'll do our best. I'll go as quickly as I can. But it's, it's methodical. It's a process. So come out and with your open heart, open mind, and um, bring somebody with you on Wednesday night. Uh, I'd love to start praying people through the Holy Ghost on Wednesday night. I think that'd be pretty amazing. And uh, so it'd be a great opportunity to come and uh, uh, learn some more about what's going on in our world. Be reminded of what you've maybe you've forgotten and not thought about for a while. And um, be real interested for our young people to uh, be privy to this as well. So remember that for next Wednesday night. Uh, so for tonight, <clears throat> uh, I would like to teach one more uh, session, if you will, on the subject, Would God Use Me? Uh, I hope all of you are hearing the, mighty, the, the many different angles from which we can be used. But bottom line, it's our business to be effective for the kingdom. And uh, if we're not doing that, then we need to shore that up and uh, get busy more about the kingdom. Uh, so tonight I want to read from Luke chapter 38, another very familiar reading. All of these scripture vases uh, that I'm using for this series, we're all familiar with them, and tonight is no exception. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he, Jesus, entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. I want you to notice verse 38. The impetus of Jesus going to someone's house for a meal, the impetus of that was placed on Martha. Mary showed up as kind of a byproduct. Jesus was going to be there, so she was invited too. Um, we have situations in our church that I've learned that people will have a church get-together at their house, but it's understood that all of my family will be there as well. And everybody helps, but bottom line, the, the pressure, the burden of that gathering is on the, squarely on the shoulders of the person that owns that home that lives there. And this is the way I interpret this scripture. Uh, that Martha perhaps is the one that gave the invitation. Perhaps she planned it. But did not expect Mary to respond to Jesus the way that she did. I don't believe this was the first time that Jesus had been there. So verse 39, she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about about much serving and came to him and said Lord dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone bid her therefore that she help me I remember growing up um, on occasions being asked to help clean up the kitchen after dinner and of course when you're eight nine ten years old you really don't understand the whole meaning of that just annoying it's just something you got to do before you go back outside and play and so you hurry up and just grab stuff off the table and plop it down on the by the kitchen sink and grab this and put it in the refrigerator and then out the door you go however I have been in other homes as a teenager where the children the teenagers of that house was told to clean up the kitchen don't come in here and help you get up and go do it 
and that's a whole horse of another different color right there. And that agitated me because how rude could that parent be that your teenager has company, i.e. me, and you want them to get away and be rude to me to go clean the kitchen. But they did the right thing and they cleaned the kitchen and I sat on the couch and waited till they were done and uh, we resumed our fellowship, whatever that was. I kind of feel, I'm using these examples, I kind of feel for the, the context of this scripture here. So Martha said to Jesus, don't you care that my sister is being a lazy slob, just sitting down talking to you, acting all spiritual around Jesus' feet when she should be in the kitchen helping me. That's, that's the Murphy commentary on that. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Apparently Martha was a worrier. Everything had to be just right and it has to be perfect. We have guests coming tonight. Everything's got to be perfect. But in verse 42, Jesus said one thing is needful. Above all the meal preparation, above all the, the tidiness of the house and everything being perfect and, and, and all of that, Mary hath chosen that good part. And that's to come sit at my feet and let me minister to her. She was sitting there not for brownie points. And I want everybody to understand that. She wasn't, Mary was not sitting at the feet of Jesus for brownie points and attaboys and you're so spiritual and you're so close to God and all of that. That was not her attitude. Not one bit. She was there literally in total strict adoration of him. And I'll show you later how she manifested that in a whole nother way a few minutes later uh, in our Bible study tonight. So I want to talk to you for a little while tonight. Would God use me and our, our theme, our basis for this is Mary of Bethany. I want everybody to listen. Serving God involves activity. It does. Serving God involves activity. There's a lot of activity involved. You could call it works. Things you have to do physically, mentally, emotionally prepare. I know there's a lot of preparation that goes into our services. There's a lot of preparation that goes into those wonderful people that teach a Sunday school class, those that work in the lobby, all of our staff. There's, all, there's always preparation. I still teach that if you're not prepared by the time you walk in the door of the church, then it's too late to get prepared. You have to be prepared before you show up. Okay. So serving God involves activity. But listen very carefully. Serving God also involves worship. And there's Jesus, I believe, is teaching the connection. Mary was active in what she was doing. So was Martha. Very active. She was, Martha was working for Jesus that day. She was preparing him a meal and preparing her house to make it as comfortable as possible for him. She was working for the Lord. But her attitude about it is what killed it. And that's what we have to be careful about. Activity and worship goes hand in hand and they have to. When activity becomes only works, then you get a bad attitude. When you keep activity, worship, then you can't get a bad attitude. Everybody needs to understand that, especially those in leadership. I'll take it a step further. Activity should be a form of worship. Mary was manifesting it that day. Martha was not. Mary manifested worship, a worshipful attitude. Martha 
manifested a very carnal, bad attitude. Um, and Jesus didn't reprimand her too bad, uh, but just made it clear that there's priorities here. All of the activity stuff will eventually work out, but I'm the priority. The worship of me is priority. Her attitude is Mary's attitude. What she's doing is priority. Her activity is more of a priority, Martha, than what you're doing. And I will say when it comes to activity and worship, there needs to be balance. There has to be balance. But Jesus commended Mary because she was ready to worship with the right attitude. She was ready to worship with humility. <clears throat> so it is essential. It's essential for all Christian people to know what is acceptable in God's economy. I need something on the screen that says two aspects of serving. There it goes. Uh, it is essential for all Christians to know what is acceptable in God's economy. The story of Mary and Martha contains examples and principles for us to follow. The story of Mary and Martha contains examples and principles for us to follow and pitfalls to stay away from when it comes to our personal relationship and our personal worship of Jesus. And everybody say amen. One of the motives behind Martha's behavior may have been, may have been, I can't prove it, but it may have been a desire to even obey the law of Moses. Believe it or not, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but one of her motives could have possibly been to obey a religious directive. I'm, I'm going to obey a part of the law of Moses. The Bible said in Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34, said if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Martha's under the impression that I have this person that's not family come to my house. And the law of Moses said I should treat them like they were born here. So that's what I'm doing. I'm preparing a meal. It's going to be healthy. It's going to be fulfilling. It's going to be sustenance and all that. I'm doing what my religious obligation is dictating for me to do. So to the Hebrew mind, the care of guests was very important. And if you read carefully in, in the instances throughout Jesus' ministry that he went to someone's house to eat, there's always, in my memory, it seems there's always a mention of the environment of that dwelling place. Wherever he's at, good or bad, there's always a mention of it. So they were taught and trained to accommodate strangers. Jesus was no stranger, but he was a guest. The, the word actually is more of a guest. To accommodate guests is to keep the law. So how much more important would it be to serve friends, to serve them appropriately, appropriately welcome them, make them feel like they're a part of your, your home, your family? There are many customs we keep that are worthy traditions, but every custom and every tradition should be subject to the scrutiny of the Scripture. Martha was so consumed with her busyness that it affected her attitude. She questioned Jesus' lack of response to what she felt was worthy of commendation, her busyness in making preparations for everybody. A person's busyness in human matters 
can cause a lack of spiritual discernment and it can ultimately stifle spiritual growth. I've known of Sunday school teachers through the years that were diligent, that were faithful, that were great teachers and what have you that ultimately lost out with God. They backslid. And you say, well, how can that happen? Because there's an imbalance of spiritual and then the physical works part of it. There's an attitude that has to be maintained. There's proper priorities that has to be maintained. So at the same time, our busy schedules may promote carnality as a result of pride because of our performance. Now think about that for a minute. It can happen in, in music. It can happen in singing. It can happen in teaching. It can happen in media. It can happen everywhere. That, man, I'm doing such a great job and nobody ever gives me accolades. I'm doing such a great job. Nobody notices. I'm doing such a great job. Nobody pays attention. I'm never complimented. I roll out the red carpet in my particular department every Sunday, every Wednesday, whatever, and I never get a pat on the back and out of or whatever. Well, now you're becoming carnal. Your works is exceeding the priority of your spirituality, and that can't happen. James addressed that between faith and works and what have you. So Martha's attitude was apparent in her outburst to Jesus questioning whether or not if he even cared at all about what she was doing. Of course he cared. He was a man. I'm sure he was looking forward to the meal and what have you. But apparently Jesus felt like Martha could handle that and let Mary worship. Mary might have been going through a hard time. Mary might have been discouraged. Maybe she might need some encouragement, some inspiration, whatever. Let Mary have her moment with me. You work it out. You figure it out. If you need help, call a neighbor. Call another family member. You should be staffed up for this event anyway. Don't blame it on Jesus because you're not properly and adequately prepared. I love the quietness when I make one of these amazing points, the quietness is just overwhelming. It's almost like when you're preaching anymore, you don't say, everybody say amen, just everybody be quiet. In the French church, that would pretty much be a piece of cake most of the time, right? Everybody say amen. <laughs> In Luke chapter 10, verse 40, the Bible describes Martha as being cumbered about with her serving. In today's language, we might say she was obsessive in her serving. When something is cumbersome, it is difficult to handle or manage. When something is cumbersome, it's difficult to handle it or manage it. Its weight is unevenly distributed. So there are many activities in our lives, especially in church, that are important and necessary. But activity or works can never save us. Moreover, if we're not careful, they can even hinder our relationship with God. I hope everybody's hearing this, especially our leadership team. Apparently, Martha felt that providing for the physical needs of the Lord exempted her from stopping and listening to him as he taught. She'd have been better off to turn the fire down and come take a chair herself. It's what Jesus was pretty much implying, and we'll get to dinner later kind of thing. So it's dangerous to think that we can substitute various types of activities for spiritual worship. We all understand this, and we know it, and I'm going to say it anyway. There is no substitute for worship. If there's a substitute for worship, then you're substituting God for something else. You worship what you serve. 
You worship what you adore. You worship what you give your allegiance to. So if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. I said it last Sunday, I believe. I believe one of the greatest attributes Abraham had when God was looking to call him was the fact that he was a worshiper. He worshiped. He, he was not afraid to worship. He, he was all about worship. So if, if he could get the right God to worship, he'd be amazing. And there's a lot of people in church today that if we could get our God right, we'd be amazing worshipers. We don't worship the object. You don't worship the thing. You don't worship what you're doing and all of that. You worship God. Working for God is a byproduct of worship, and it goes hand in hand with it. We need to remember the warning of Jesus in the book of Revelation to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil. And you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You've borne and had patience for my name's sake and have labored and have, you've not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you that you have left your first love. You still worship, but it's not me. You're worshiping something else. So again, work, labor, all of that, it's important. I'm not diminishing it in any way. It's important, but nurturing and maintaining our love for Christ is more important. And I've often said through the years, especially uh, in the past 15 years, I, I know for sure, that if anybody gets burnt out doing what you're doing, as hurtful and costly as it may be, you're more important than the task. So come talk to, to pastor, talk to your serve team leader and tell them, look, I, I just need a break for a while. We've done this numerous times through the years and uh, we'll do something. We'll, we'll, we'll find somebody to, to help out until you recover, get things worked out in your life. We've done this numerous times. So Mary was, Mary was looking for the one who was more than a teacher or prophet. There was a desire in Mary's worship to develop a deeper, more spiritual relationship with Christ. She was ready to commit all she had to receive truth and life from Jesus. Martha was ruled by a sense of duty that kept her from enjoying the liberty of worship. But Mary had developed a discernment that freed her from any burden of duty that would prevent her from benefiting Christ's words. Sister Murphy and I were talking to somebody recently. It was one of our musicians, and I, honestly, I do not remember who it was, but we had just a real dynamic altar service that Sunday and they were playing, whoever it was and whatever instrument they were playing, they said, I want it so bad to just set that down and come down to the front and just worship and what have you. And Sister Murphy and I both said in unison, don't ever let that instrument keep you from doing that. You set it down, you, you, you put it down, you walk away, you come down here and worship. That's more needful, that's more needful, especially at that moment of what's going on in your heart. <clears throat> so it's essential for us to discern when the Spirit moves us beyond our traditional forms of worship, of worship to a place of greater blessing. We have to be able to discern that. So whenever we try to form a discipline of worship, we must base it on what is acceptable to God. I need a, something up there that says Jesus view on the screen. 
um, whenever we try to form a discipline of worship, we must base it on what is acceptable to God. Not us. We don't, we don't set the bar for how much God should be worshipped. God sets that bar. And we have to understand that. So whenever we try to form a discipline of worship, we must base it on what we believe wholeheartedly is acceptable to God. During his days in flesh, Jesus showed himself to be worthy of worship. Yes, he did. He did so by the power of his word and the miracles that he performed. Imagine the miracles that he performed. Imagine the miracles that he performed. And how many times after he performed them do you read that anybody worshipped? Didn't do anything. Jesus was worthy of worship. Why? Because he was God incarnate in flesh. He was worthy of worship, and they did so in Matthew 28 before he ascended back into heaven. As different people responded to him in different ways, Jesus made it clear to him what he would receive as worship and what he would reject as worship. So recognizing his view of things, then what we do is essential. We have to recognize what he needs, what his views are, and we have to please that. We have to accommodate that. We need for God to direct us into the ways that are acceptable to him. And I would to God everybody could understand that tonight. In the formation of the New Testament church, there came a time when energetic people were sought out by the apostles for the work of the church. And in Acts chapter 6, the apostles instructed the disciples to begin to search for seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. They needed some faithful people who would be in charge of the business of the church. So they were to oversee the distribution of food and and other provisions for the, the widows and orphans in the church and so on. The people sought out those who could lead them in the activity of serving others. Acts chapter 6 tells us the names of those who were selected, among who was named Stephen, who was later noted for doing great miracles and wonders among the people. He didn't let his serving bread to widows and orphans replace his essential prioritize desire to worship and to please God. He didn't look at pleasing people as the same as pleasing God. He kept his priorities straight and he continued to do to work signs and miracles. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't an apostle. He was just an elder in the church. He did all these amazing things. Because he was able to keep his attitude straight. And we know the story. He was subsequently stoned to death for his boldness before the Jews in the synagogue. But Stephen is an example of one who could contribute well to the work of the business activities of the church and still retain his spiritual discernment and authority. God help us to hear that. God help us to hear that tonight. It should not be, and it cannot be a matter of choosing one over the other, but a matter of conducting one's life with a careful balance of both. You worship first, and then your spiritual activities, your church activities comes second. You worship God first. It keeps your attitude right. Upon leaving the ark... Noah occupied himself with organizing his family to look for a favorable spot to start all over again. 
But the first thing Noah did was what when he came off the ark? Everybody should know the answer to this. He built an altar. He didn't build an altar to, worship, to, to sacrifice. He built an altar to worship. Had his priorities straight at least for a while. He didn't get all big-headed over, I just saved the whole entire human race from annihilation. I need to get an award. Somebody needs to give me a medal. I need to get the president's honor of valor and all of that. Didn't go to his head. It never did. The first thing he came down off that ark and did was built an altar to worship. I hope we're getting this tonight. It's so important. It's so important. It's so important. In Luke chapter 10, Martha busied herself doing good things. It's obvious that she was not lazy. Clearly, she was performing work that should be done. But Martha got frustrated with Mary. She compared herself with Mary. The Bible says, do not compare yourself among yourself. In the church, at least in the Pentecostal background that I've had all of my life, in every church I've ever preached at, the ones I've attended, whatever, there's always people that want to compare who is the most spiritual? Who prays the most? Who does this the most? Who does that the most? Who's at the church most during the week? Who does this? Who does that? And if you're not careful after a while, you're going to start looking for people that in your mind do less. And then we get judgmental. Can I take it a step further? We do it by the way people dress or don't dress. I've got to be holier than them because I dress a certain way. I've got news for people. I, I dress is a byproduct of it. Dressing a certain way don't make you holy. Your heart, your attitude, your relationship with God makes you holy. The way you dress modestly and so on should be a byproduct of that attitude. I did get a few amens out of that, and I, I really appreciate it. It makes me feel really nice. I'm not the Lone Ranger up here, high ho silver away. Uh, it's interesting to me. And notice this in this setting. They're, they're at Martha's house. And it's interesting to me that Martha didn't say anything to Mary. Now, if you're ever at Kelly's house and Shelly's there, they're going to, the Holy Ghost could be there in a mighty way. But these two girls, twins, are going to address one another over something. I've been around them enough to know that. And if you drag Sandy, who's sister-in-law, into that mix, or Natalie into that mix, they're going to say stuff back and forth. It's interesting to me that Kelly, I mean Martha, was watching this thing with, <laughs> got y'all's attention now, with going on with Mary and Jesus she didn't say anything to Jesus, and I give her some degree of credit about that. I would take that and put it in this way. Martha went and prayed about it. She did. Y'all ever thought about that? She went and talked to Jesus about this issue. She didn't take it up with Mary. She took it up with Jesus. Jesus, why are you letting her forsake me in the kitchen all by myself and we have 40 people from Grace Church coming over here tonight, and I've got all this work to do, and my sister is over there reading her Bible, to put it in our culture. 
At least she went and prayed about it. Her axe to grind was not necessarily with Mary, but with Jesus. And that's interesting to me. She wanted Jesus to correct her. And I think that's the right avenue. I think Martha's correct in that. If you have something going on with somebody else, go pray about it. Even if you do have a bad attitude. You'll still get a better attitude when it's all over with. Are y'all with me tonight? Four. When it seems that recognition does not come our way, we cry out like Martha. Does anyone notice that I'm the only one doing any work around here? The great danger of activity without worship is that it stunts spiritual growth. Yes, it does. If we allow ourselves to be occupied with good and necessary activities without regard to the more important spiritual matters, our worship will become empty fanaticism. And we have to understand that. I want our singers and musicians, everybody that's, that serves, Sunday school teachers, everybody that serves, I have to remind myself of it periodically that I'm doing all this hard work, doing this all this hard work. It don't take but just a moment to get all carnal because you've got to beef with somebody else because they're not doing as much as you're doing. They're not helping you do what you're doing. And you're the only lone spiritual person in this whole entire church that's doing anything. Bless God. Hallelujah. This is real. It's real in church. And a lot of people don't have the guts to say it. Martha did, and I appreciate her for that. She had the guts to say it. Most people don't, and they become bitter, and they backslide over it. They get hurt. They get bitter. The Bible said in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Then bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There's a priority here. Everything we do is worship first. I like to remind all of us, I like to remind our praise team, worship team, musicians, everybody, when you come out here on Sunday morning, you're singing and playing to an audience of one. That's what you do first. <clears throat> Don't mean to get preachy. If I keep on, I'm going to pick up an offering here in a minute. The design of worship brings us into the presence of God. God highly esteems an attitude of heartfelt worship. Yes, he does. Any Christian who has a desire to lay aside his agenda, worries, and cares of life for the call of worship is doing that which is vital to his spiritual life. Moreover, he's doing that which the Lord considers to be our reasonable service. Perhaps the greatest example of Mary's desire to worship Jesus and express her love and appreciation to him is found in the story following Jesus raising her brother Lazarus back to life. Don't you think if your loved one passed away and Jesus showed up three or four days later and raised that person back to life, wouldn't you feel a little extra something in your heart about Jesus? I would like to think I would. So after this great miracle, Jesus attended a supper again at their home given in his honor. It was a public celebration. There was a lot of people attending it, including Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Judas Iscariot was there, other disciples was there. The miracle had caused many Jews to believe in Jesus. For he proved that he had power over death. 
those close to Jesus should have realized that he was more than a prophet or teacher. Mary had realized that before this occasion. But in John chapter 12, verse 2, Martha is again busy serving. But Mary still was finding value in the spiritual aspects of Christ's presence. And once again, she found her way to his feet. But this time, it was not for what she could receive from him. She brought to him something very valuable to show her love for him. And John said in John 12, 3, that then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of that ointment. Her symbol of worship this time went through the entire house. Everybody, everybody was under that umbrella of one person worshiping one person. Everybody else was affected. That's, that's the priority, the necessity, and the value of worship. When you come to church and sit like a mannequin on the church pew, you don't know what that's doing to the person beside you, and it may not be doing anything because you're not doing anything. But if you really worship, if you really put some passion in your worship and really let God know how much, not for a show, not for attention, but you really love him. He's done something amazing in your life. And you just want to praise him and exalt him and what have you. What would that do to the person sitting next to you? What would that do for the person across the aisle? I will tell you, it's our young people took out around the aisle a couple of Sundays ago. And I stood up here and I smiled. Smiled big like the proverbial mule-eating briars. Smiled as big as I could. It was not humorous. It was not funny to me. It inspired me. It blessed me. And it put a smile on my face. And if you would pull any of them aside after church and ask them, well, what has God done for you that's so great that you're running the aisles? What do you think they would say? Did their parent or sibling die that past week and they were, God raised him from the dead? Probably not. Did they get a new car? Probably not. Did mom and dad give them $100 before they came to church and they're all excited about it? Probably not. I believe these young people genuinely love Jesus. And bottom line, he really doesn't have to do anything special for them. All they need to do is just feel that little goosebump going up down their back and away they go. That's all they need is a teaspoon, a half of a teaspoon of the Holy Ghost poured out on them. And away they go. Where some of us need a 55-gallon drum two or three times. And then the next service two or three more times. And then maybe the third or fourth service we'll start showing some. Y'all feel me? Mary went all out. This anoint, this anointment that she did on his feet was spikenard. If you do study on that, it was very expensive for them. Uh, one, one place said it was almost a year's wage. How much do you make in a year? Would you go buy that equivalent in perfume and bring it Sunday morning and just pour it out all over the carpet, symbolizing pouring it out the feet of Jesus? Just wasted. That's what Judas said. Why is this wasted? Worship. Worship is never a waste. I can promise you if we knew the life of Mary after that 
God blessed her exceeding abundantly in more ways than we could count because of that sacrifice that she made in her worship. Jesus said, one thing is needful, Martha. Mary's chosen the good part, and it will not be taken away. Don't ever take worship away from anybody. Well, I'm not done, but my time's done. I'll just stop right here. Good place to stop. I want us to understand, can God use me? And I suppose one of the greatest ways that God could use anybody to impact the life of somebody else is true, genuine, heartfelt worship. Not our typical, very trained, very disciplined patterns of however we do and we rock back and forth and sometimes we only raise one hand because you just don't feel like raising the other one. Just raise that one and then swap it and the things that we do. If we can get more heartfelt, step out of that box and just worship the Lord because he's mighty, he's amazing, and he has provided for our needs so many times. And I believe he's worthy. I want to say this and then I'm done. God is worthy of worship whether he does anything for us or not. And, and we need to understand that point first and foremost. He's worthy of worship just solely because he's God. Now I have to do a thing. If God could manifest himself in a way here tonight that all of us would go to our face and nobody would have the audacity to pick up your head and say, well, God, if you'll do something for me first, I'll worship you better. We'd all go to our face. We'd worship what have you. But we oftentimes think that God has to earn his worship from us because we're so amazing and we do great works and we contribute so heavily to the kingdom that somehow we're worthy of our blessing. We're worthy of God doing so. God, if you really want to be worshipped, you raise my brother from the dead. Mary manifested worship that day anointing his feet, but I don't believe her attitude was any different. She just brought something extra. Her good attitude towards Christ became a conduit for her to bring even more to the feet of Christ. Jesus had not performed the miracle of raising her brother from the dead when she sat at his feet in the scripture we read tonight. As far as I know, Jesus hadn't really done anything profound for Mary, and she worshiped anyway. But this time she brought more. What she did before satisfied the heart of God, but now this really satisfied the heart of God when she brought a sacrifice to her worship. Especially stand with me tonight in what's going on in our world. Y'all stand with me. <clears throat> if there's ever a time we need to lay stuff aside and <laughs> give God a little more focus, a little more attention, I'm really rattled in my spirit with what's going on and I've, I've watched a lot of things, news and what have you. Um, I think we know there's evil people in the, on the planet but if the devil is manifesting himself this, this unbelievably through people, how much more should God be manifesting the goodness and greatness of his ability towards people? And I believe he will and he can if we understand the priority of worship. So can God use you? Yes, he can. And first and foremost is worship, not based on how you feel, but based on what he's worthy of. Thank the Lord. So tonight, can we just take a moment? Let's worship the Lord for a moment before we dismiss. Jesus, we love you tonight. We're thankful for the amazing presence of God. We're thankful for the amazing word of God tonight. 
You've ministered to my heart. I pray, God, that you've ministered to the people that are here. We pray, God, in Jesus' name, that you would help us to have a true spirit of worship, a true spirit of great attitude, that, God, we could be, that we could be more in love with you tonight than we ever have been. I pray, God, that you would stir us tonight, that when we come into your presence, we always have a, a, a worshipful attitude and worship to bring to you no matter what's going on in our lives. We thank you for this amazing time with these wonderful, wonderful people that we love so very much. God bless your sweet church tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Thank you for being here. Good, good crowd here tonight. Thank you so much. God bless you, and we'll see you Sunday morning.